What's this? You think I don't know the law? Wasn't it me who wrote it? And I say that this man has broken the law. Right or wrong? We had a deal. And the law says, bust a deal, face the wheel. Bust a deal and face the wheel. Welcome to the Mad Max Minute, where all our lives hang by a thread as we watch Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome, one minute at a time. I'm Rick. And I'm Julia. And today we're talking about Minute 39, which begins with Auntie declaring that Max broke their deal, and it ends with Max spinning the wheel of misfortune. (laughs) So as we discussed on Wednesday, Auntie has jumped down from her perch to enter the Thunderdome. She has shouted to the crowd, what is this, what's this? And she starts this minute by shouting for a third time, what's this? And we've talked before about the reasoning behind hiring Tina Turner in this role this is why exactly her ability to work a crowd because she more than other times in this movie so far is now in a position where she needs to command everybody's attention effectively and she is doing exactly that she is in the spotlight the center of attention and she is more or less commanding everybody to listen to her just by her presence it's great yes And her speech makes so much more sense to me now. Now that I see that Pig Killer was calling for Max's release when it was denied to him, now her speech makes sense. Yep. She she shouts, Do you think I don't know the law? Wasn't it me who wrote it? And I say that this man has broken the law. So it must be that breaking one law supersedes the following of another law. Like the law of Thunderdome, Two men enter, one man leave. Well, Max can't leave because he's broken the law. She says, right or wrong, we had a deal. She's not going to address the specifics of the deal because no one needs to know them. It's not important that the regular, ordinary wasteland Joe who wandered in to trade animal pelts, he doesn't need to know the specifics. It's not their business. I'm not even sure they realize that there was a deal. The revelation of the deal and the questioning back and forth was actually pretty quick. Yeah. And if they weren't paying attention, they could have missed it. Mm -hmm. And in the middle of that, a man was shot and killed. Exactly. That's very distracting. So Auntie here at least admits to the fact that there was a deal. Yeah, which in a justice system like ours was probably not a good idea. I think the- but their, their justice system, Auntie probably won't face any kind of punishment. Oh, no, no. Because in this situation, she's the wronged party. Yes. Because as she said, right or wrong, they had a deal. And Max- has broken that deal three times over, as we discussed on Monday. (laughs) And she reminds everyone, as the law says, bust a deal, face the wheel. And when she says face the wheel, she points. As if the wheel is already hanging out somewhere? Well, yeah. I I suspect (laughs) that the wheel lives like right outside Thunderdome, ready to be wheeled in. It does look pretty heavy yeah so i imagine you don't want to it move doesn't it too much. doesn't go very far i feel like this whole bust a deal face the wheel rule is another 
instance of information that should have been given to Max ahead of time. Yes. If he knew the consequence of going back on the deal, I don't know if it would have changed his mind enough to just out and out kill Blaster himself. But if Auntie, when Max came back from Underworld, said, okay, before we make this deal, just know that here in Bartertown, if you break a deal, you have to face a consequence. And that consequence is dictated by this wheel that we've got sitting over here. Yes. So many, oh, so many things Max should have been explained and he should have questioned so many things about this deal. They should have gone over. Yeah, you can definitely tell that Max is a former cop and not a former lawyer. Right, right. This movie would be drastically different if you change Max's profession before the world collapsed. Yeah. <laughs> We've assumed in the past that Dr. Dealgood is part of Auntie's counsel and he's their judge type person does that also mean he's their lawyer type person like the da type of thing yeah the district attorney the the prosecutor for the state yeah so might it have been advantageous that he was there when the deal was being agreed upon and gave one of his poetic speeches to Max about not breaking the deal that would have included the consequences if he did. It would have been really helpful for Max, but yeah. I'm willing to bet Auntie wasn't necessarily in the mood for all that formality. Well, she only did herself a disservice. Yeah, there were a lot of shortcuts taken in this situation that ended up biting a lot of people in the butt after the fact. Yes. No one is really coming out of this smelling like a rose. And that's completely ignoring the fact that the entire town runs on poop. Right. Yeah, does anybody come out really on top in this situation? I mean... I think Iron Bar comes out on top. Yeah, he doesn't die miraculously several times. Well, I think by the end of the movie, Iron Bar doesn't come out on top. But from this situation specifically, like after Master is returned to Underworld, Iron Bar is pretty much tasked with keeping Master in line. So you could arguably say that Iron Bar is given control of Underworld. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's why I kind of feel like of... In this situation, Iron Bar is definitely the one who makes out the most. But Which drives me nuts because he, from a certain point of view... A certain point of view? He did the most wrong. Like yeah. He committed murder. Yeah, it was... Uh, the situation is so tangled because it's politics. Yes. <laughs> and yes, it is. politics to, to boot. But so yeah. the collector, the good old collector... He's such a good hype man. He's Johnny on the spot when it comes to backing up Auntie. Yes. And I wonder... Is he just being the collector and repeating what Auntie says and giving the details of what's going to happen? Or is he trying to get a chant going? Oh, he's absolutely trying to start a chant. Okay, because that's where a lot of power lies, mm -hmm. is in the chanting of the people, what they want and what they demand. So if he can get them chanting, break a deal, face the wheel, then all is well. Mm -hmm. Which, yes, it works. They do start to chant. It's not as strong as when they were chanting, two men enter, one man leaves. Yeah, I think there's probably a lot of herd mentality. The idea that you want to be part of the group 
And mm -hmm. so you follow along with what the group is doing. I don't think that there are a lot of people sitting in that crowd that say, yeah, let's bring out the punishment wheel because that's exactly what I wanted to see tonight. I think they're more or less resigned to the situation. Well, you know, if we're not going to see the rest of this fight, I guess we'll get to see some sort of punishment meted out. Right. And it's the next most, best thing. <laughs> most of the punishments on there aren't this is going to happen right here in Thunderdome in front of you. They're being sentenced to work in Underworld or to yeah. the Gulag, which we'll get into that confusion. Yeah, we're going to look at the wheel in detail on Monday because yep. honestly, Monday's minute is just Max watching the wheel spin. Okay. There's almost a solid minute of just the wheel spinning. Okay, good, because I, I have some thoughts about some things that are on the wheel. So we'll get to dive into those. Oh, absolutely. Nice. Absolutely. But the important thing in this part of the minute, at least, is that Auntie brings up the punishment wheel the collector gets the crowd going, and then everybody is suddenly more or less back on Auntie's side. Yes. They're gung-ho with the idea that Max now has to face a punishment, because at least that will be something that they can watch down the line. Mm -hmm. As the spectators continue to chant, we get this lovely shot of Auntie, and she is standing there in Thunderdome, and it's kind of a low angle. We're looking up at her, and she is staring back at Max. And, oh, it's such a dominating pose. And as she's looking at Max, you can tell that she is reminding him that he is in her world and that he can't just go around crossing her without facing some pretty stiff consequences that he doesn't even know about yet. Right. We cut from looking at Auntie to looking at Max. And Max, as we get this slow zoom in on him, he's just standing there by the door. And he's looking up around at everybody. And it's just, this has got to be one of the worst days. Like he spent the better part of that day walking around Barter Town and working in Underworld only to pick a fight in the evening. And by the time we're at this point, the sun is starting to rise again. We have been at it for more or less 24 hours. Like this has been an incredibly busy day. Oh. Max is probably really tired, not only from the fight, but just being awake for so long. Yes. And when he went to the door and said, open it, you could hear in his voice how tired he sounded. Well, he, he could barely raise that hammer at the end of the fight. Yeah. I mean, frankly, it would have been really easy to just let the hammer drop on Blaster and finish it. Yeah. Like, right or wrong, it would have been really easy for Max to just end the fight and move on. But he didn't. And now he's in this situation where he's got to face a consequence. The situation he's found himself in is just so foolish. I think it's inescapable. Mm -hmm. I think he had no choice but to refuse to kill Blaster. And if even if he hadn't outed Auntie, he still would have been punished for refusing to kill Blaster. Yeah. But I see no other choice. We, I, we view this very differently. I imagine an alternative cut of this movie where Max, instead of turning around and saying, this wasn't part of the deal, he turns around and says something a bit more vague, like, I'm not going to kill him. He's done. He's down. Like, this is over. And then Auntie saying, no, it's not over. You need to stay in here until one of you is dead. The guards come in, pull Master away, and then we get this sequence where it's just Max and Blaster in the dome and they're pretty much forced to 
face off against each other and they don't necessarily have to fight. It might just be Max having to wrestle with the idea of like escape means killing this other person and Blaster would have no idea what's going on. Blaster would probably eventually get back up again and just start wandering around the dome trying to escape. And then maybe Max would start to try communicating with Blaster and maybe the two of them would conspire of a way to escape the dome together, fight Auntie's guards and whatnot, as fruitless of a venture as that may sound. And the whole movie could turn into a bit of a weird prison break situation where Max is able to get Pig Killer and the other captives in Underworld to help him and Blaster escape. And then all of the captives in Underworld and Master and Blaster all escape in the giant generator thing. You know what interesting. I mean? Interesting. Interesting. I picture with the help of Pig Killer, Max inciting a revolt mm-hmm. and using the cover of the revolt to get out without having to kill Blaster. I don't know. It would definitely make a movie that is very different from this one. And that's very much so. And different does not always mean better. I'm not a Hollywood screenwriter. I'm not even a movie screenwriter to begin with. I just get weird ideas so (laughs) it would be interesting to see i just don't know if it would be better there's lots of things that would be interesting to see Mm -hmm. yes speaking of interesting things to see the next shot we get is of the wheel spinning we start in with a nice close shot and as we pull out we see that dr dealgood is there and he is speaking to the crowd before we get into what dr dealgood is saying we don't get a really good look at the base of the wheel in this shot but you can definitely tell that the wheel itself is free spinning on top of that base and i imagine that what they probably do to move it around is they probably lift the wheel portion off the top and then the base either fits nicely into a hand truck or has wheels on it itself to help facilitate moving it around because it just looks really heavy it does look really heavy let me look in the screenplay real quick and see if they say anything about how it enters thunderdome or if they just cut right to it yeah <laughs> there's some great wording about dr dealgood's re-entrance it says dr dealgood bounced back into the arena supervising the change of attractions all right that's kind of fun that sounds like him yeah okay so the guards lead in a milk white stallion to drag blaster's body out of the arena that's definitely something we didn't see in the movie yes Okay, in the novelization, the wheel is suspended sitting at the top of the dome, and it gets lowered down to the ground. Hmm. Yeah. Yep. So it's already in there. That would have been a fun visual to see. It would have been. Auntie calls for the wheel, and it just descends on a line or something like like that. Dramatically. From the top of the dome. With Tweedledum and Tweedledumber, like, hanging onto the ropes and showing it off. Yeah. Yeah. That would explain her pointing the way she did. Like, she's pointing in towards the dome to where the the wheel would be. Yeah. Would have been cool to see the milk white stallion. Yeah. Although we really don't need the visual of Blaster's body being removed. Right. That definitely could have been skipped. Hmm. Yeah. It's an interesting detail, but I can definitely see why they would not include it in the movie itself. Yeah. So Dr. Dealgood is standing here next to the wheel as it's spinning to show everybody how it spins, I guess. (laughs) He goes into this little monologue and he says, all our lives hang by a thread. And now we've got a man waiting for sentence, but ain't it the truth? 
You take your chances with the law. Justice is only a roll of the dice, a flip of the coin, a turn of the wheel. And I find the use of the wheel to be an interesting one because when you're in a situation like this, it's very easy for someone like Auntie or someone like Dr. Dealgood to come off as very despotic. But with the wheel, you're able to more or less push off the blame. When someone gets punished, you can say, oh, well, I didn't say that they had to be exiled to the gulag. I didn't say that they had to get something amputated or go to hard labor. Like it wasn't me, it was the wheel. They spun the wheel. Yeah, it removes all responsibility for doling out punishment Yeah. to chance. And one of the options is getting to walk away scot-free. Like, there's a chance that you could do something wrong and get away without punishment. It's in your hands. So there's a bit of a victim-blamey aspect to it, too. If you get sentenced to hard labor, the only person you have to blame is yourself. Or, I guess, technically, you could blame one of the Tweedles, because, as we see in this minute, the blonde Tweedle reaches over, takes Max's hand, and helps him spin the wheel. But why would you blame the Tweedles for anything? Yeah, they're just accessories. They are there to assist you. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> they, they may be an accessory, but at the end of the day, it's your hand specifically on the wheel. Which is no way way to run a justice system. I mean, people have similar complaints about our American justice system, where the punishments don't always necessarily fit the crimes. Oh, yeah. Minimum sentences is the most ridiculous thing. Well, it's not the absolute most ridiculous thing, but it's <laughs> one of the most ridiculous things. I think when you make blanket rulings, like look at a high school. Any high school with zero tolerance laws, that's just lazy administration. You're making a blanket statement about complex issues to say, you know what, zero tolerance, instant suspension, instant in-school detention, things like that. And it's taking all of the personal interaction out of administrating. Like if you are in charge of a system, you should take a hands-on approach to that system. You take a situation like this, the wheel is not always going to be appropriate. You could have someone bust a deal and it could be a minor deal. The parties may feel really wronged about it, but when one of the options on that wheel is just straight up death. Yeah, that's insane. Yeah. Even if by the end of this movie, Bartertown physically is damaged beyond repair, perhaps, it was probably going to die out anyways. Yeah. The justice system, while on the surface, sounds kind of egalitarian. Mm -hmm. Once you take a deep look at it, this doesn't work. Yeah, there are so many problems. And you got to hand it to Auntie. She certainly built up something impressive. But at the same time, I feel like she just lacks the political know-how to make it last. Right. It may be impressive, but it's not sustainable. Yeah. And some of the things that Dr. Dealgood says are a bit disturbing. Mm. The way he talks about you take chances with the law. Well, that's not the purpose of the law. The purpose of the law is so that you know what you'll get in trouble for and what you'll not get in trouble for. Exactly. The law is supposed to be black and white. It's the administering of the law where things all get fuzzy. Right. Justice and itself. injustice and all this stuff. But justice itself is blind. It's exactly. supposed to be absolutely impartial and equal. And there shouldn't be any chances. Justice shouldn't be a roll of the dice or the turn of a wheel. That's insane. Yeah, we're going to talk on Monday about how not only is the wheel a ridiculous way to dole out punishments, but it's also a rather unfair 
way to dole out punishments because not all punishments are weighted equally. I haven't crunched the numbers or anything like that. I don't have any solid percentages at this point because I haven't taken that close of a look at it yet. But when we come back on Monday, I'm hoping to have a good estimation of like what your chances are at getting any one of these options. That's my goal. Okay. Everybody knows my track record with math is not always <laughs> great, but I'm going to try. So I guess you have that to look forward to. I mentioned before that as Max approaches the wheel, I, I, it's hard to say that he actually approaches the wheel. Max is escorted to the yeah. wheel. He's got a guard on each arm. Like there's no options here. He's not spinning this wheel of his own volition. No, he doesn't even know what's going on. The people are chanting, break a deal, spin the wheel. This is the first time he has heard that phrasing in his entire life. He has no clue what's going on. Yeah. He has no idea what the heck Dr. Dealgood is talking about with all his talk of justice and randomness. He's brought up to this wheel by guards, although he's not fighting, is he? At this point, there are so many guards and he is unarmed. They took his fly swatter away. Yes. So he's a smart man. He knows when to fight and when not to fight. Exactly. There would be no point in him fighting it. He is at their mercy. So he's led up to this wheel and the blonde Tweedle is there and she's doing her best Vanna White impression, showing off the wheel and whatnot. Very much so. And as I mentioned before, she reaches over and she takes Max's hand. She places it on the wheel and then she pulls his hand to get the wheel spinning. I love how smiley she is through that whole thing. Like you said, Vanna White and very acting like she's being very gracious and helpful when in reality she's forcing a man to choose his own punishment. Yeah. Like when you think of the implications of the action, it's hard to think, oh, yes, this is something that should be done while smiling and gesturing and whatnot. She is... Definitely a professional when it comes to presenting things. Yes. That is her wasteland skill. It's also interesting that we have this stranger who has no idea what the wheel is, mm -hmm. but they, the system, insist that he spin the wheel himself to the point where her job is to take his hand and make him spin the wheel himself. I kind of see that like, just because you're visiting someplace doesn't mean you're exempt from their laws. No. There is such a thing as diplomatic immunity, but when you're just a tourist, you don't have diplomatic immunity. You can't take your visa, go to another country, and you know chew gum and stick it somewhere, because then the police are going to arrest you and cane you or something like that. <laughs> because... In their country, you can't chew gum, stick it on things because the punishment is caning and there's not much you can do to fight that because you're subject to their laws because you're in their country. Yes. You could argue that it's Max's fault that he did not properly research the laws of Thunderdome, but at what point were we ever shown Max walking by a placard of rules or something like that? It gets very victim-blamey when you start talking about Stuff like that. He and should I, have known better. Yeah. Really, Max was in over his head the minute he started talking to the collector. <laughs> he was playing a game that he did not know the rules of. And yes. he was taking his situation in his hands and it quickly spun out of his control. You know, at work, whenever there are problems that tend to escalate into these big ordeals, most of the time, I would say almost all of the time, you can boil it down to poor communication. 
Yeah. At the core, that's what went wrong that caused this something to explode. And that's the same thing here. It was poor communication on both parties. Mm-hmm. Max should have asked questions and Auntie and the Collector should have explained what the deal actually was. Yep. Poor communication. Say, do you want to get exiled to the desert? Because this is how you get exiled to the desert. Going back to that idea that this story would be very different if Max had been a lawyer. This story would have also been very different if Max, instead of just being a highway cop, had been a detective or some sort of police investigator. I can see the first Mad Max movie recut with Max not so much being a driver specifically as Max being more or less a noir style detective. That he He is not so much just rolling around keeping his eyes on the highway as much as hunting down the motorcycle gang because they're causing trouble for the main force patrol. It's interesting that you styled it as noir. Mm -hmm. One of the hallmarks of noir is that the protagonist tends to see themselves becoming more and more like the antagonist mm-hmm. throughout the story. That they are going lower and lower down towards the bad guy. And that they have to pull themselves back out before they can solve the whatever. I think the problem with my idea of recasting Max as a detective as opposed to a patrolman is that it would fundamentally change the character. It would. It would take away the leather. It would take away the car. Mm-hmm. Which, by the time we get to the fourth movie, the cars are everything. Mm -hmm. The vehicles, the driving, it's everything. I think, and this kind of talk always gets dangerous when you talk about reboots and reimaginings. It does. At the time of this recording, the lawsuit between George Miller and the Warner Brothers Company has not been resolved. They are still locked in litigation and future Mad Max movies are still being held up. I hate to talk like this, but if you were to reboot the Mad Max series, I feel like instead of coming back and saying, oh yes, this is Max Rokotansky. I feel like you can take the bones of the Mad Max series and make something else. More or less like taking a wire frame and making a different clay maquette on it. You know what I mean? Yes, I think that you can. But I think one thing about Mad Max that is so beloved is the skin that's on top of the frame. Yeah. If you just look at the frame, so we have a man who lost everything and didn't handle it well. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a good way to put it. Yeah. And took revenge on the people who did him wrong. Mm-hmm. Well, that sort of story has been told over and over and over again. Yeah. But George Miller put it in the framework of a apocalyptic police officer and a motorcycle gang and then post-apocalypse and more gangs and wasteland and he put this coat of paint on it then i think it's that coat of paint that makes this particular story so attractive mm. which is i continuing on that line of thought is that the coat of paint that goes on this particular movie is so different than the other three that that's why people tend to not like this one mm. because the framework is still very similar. We have a man who has no home, pretty much has no name, who has nothing, who's 
trying to just go on with his life and he's thwarted and has to save other people along the way, that's a story that's been done. And the topping that's been put on it for this particular movie is just so different. <laughs> yeah. That some people find it jarring. But the topping that's been put on the other three, I think is why this series is so beloved. Yeah, I agree. Now, I think we've started to spin our wheels in the dust a little bit on yeah, this one. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> this has been an odd week because we spent so much time with this fight between Max and Blaster. Like it took a full two weeks, a full six minutes, which six minutes is not that long in the grand scheme of things. It's just when you do only do three episodes a week, it drags it out. But anyway, this fight is such an anticlimax. It really is. And it sputters out in these three minutes that we talked about this week. And just it's very unsatisfying. I can understand why the crowd was so quick to call for Max's release, because at least then there would be some sort of resolution. We really do need another adventure and then the climax of the movie. This feels like it could have been a climax to the movie, but the way that it plays out, you're right, it sputters to a stop. Mm -hmm. So we need to ramp up again and then have a proper climax. So next week, we're going to pick up on Monday with this wheel spinning. Unfortunately, we're not quite out of the doldrums yet and on to the next adventure. There's going to be a bit of a lull in the movie where it's going to take us a while to get to the next big thing. But Monday, we're going to pick up with Max and the wheel. We're going to get it to spin around. We're going to talk about a bunch of punishments. We're going to have some guests that we're going to talk to. So that'll be a good time. Speaking of things coming up, if you join us tomorrow, we've got our extra show, Anarchy Road. We're going to be into week 13 at this point. We're going to see Peter pleading with the Lost Boys for their help. And then we're going to cut from the Lost Boys and Peter down to Captain Hook's pirate ship for an excellent scene between Hook and Smee. Hook is going to have an epiphany that prompts Smee's intervention, and then Smee is going to turn around and get an apostrophe of his own. I love the whole epiphany scene. Yeah, it's excellent. so great. It's going to be a lot of fun to talk about. So you can join us there by going to our Patreon. It's a $3 a month level. It's great. Come along with us there. In the meantime, we're going to put a pin in this minute, we're going to come back on Monday, like I said, with some wheel spinning. Like the wheel spinning we've been doing at the end of this episode because <laughs> of how this week has been. The Mad Max Minute Podcast is a fan project by Rick and Julia Ingham. The Mad Max franchise was created by George Miller and Byron Kennedy, is presented by Kennedy Miller Mitchell Productions, and distributed by Warner Brothers. Mad Max Minute is produced and edited by Rick Ingham. Our opening music is Verdi's Dies Irae by Daniel Batista of DanielBatista.com. And our outro music is We Don't Need Another Hero by MilitiaVox of MilitiaVox.com. Our home on the internet is MadMaxMinute.com. You can follow us on Twitter at MadMaxMinute, like us on Facebook by searching for Mad Max Minute, and join our Facebook listener group, Mad Max Minute Beyond Microphone. If you'd like to support the podcast, visit MadMaxMinute.com where you can check out our Public storefront by clicking the store link join our patreon by clicking the support link or make a one-time donation by clicking the donate link thank you for joining us for minute 39 of beyond thunderdome see you next time Everybody say-